Welcome to MTG Evolving Wild. My name is Mark. I'm Ron. I'm Cody. And today we're going to be talking about one of our most favorite recent sets. Probably, I would say, one of our favorite, if not our favorite set that's come out since we were playing Magic the Gathering, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. I would definitely call it my favorite. It's your favorite. It's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, definitely the most fun I've had in a pre-release format. And yeah, just a win in all accounts in terms of playability and flavor. Out of curiosity, um, like since we've been playing, what's your favorite set that's come out? Oh, that's a good question. Is it at least somewhere tied with Kamigawa? Um, Kamigawa is definitely in my top five, I would say. Um, but I, I don't know, in no AFR? particular order. AFR, yes, actually. That um, makes even a lot if of it's sense. not considered like the best set, I felt like it was a very fun, self-constructed set. Um, I made a cube with cards to make like a set draft, and um. Yeah, it really is what got me into the game. So uh, yeah. it's definitely up there. Uh, yeah, are, are we counting things like double masters and stuff, or are we talking about standard sets? Uh, I, I would say you have to visit a plane for it to count as a set. Because my another one would probably be uh, Commander Legends Baldur's Gate. That one <laughs> count, is, would count as a set, in I would my opinion. count that, yeah. That's yeah. like you're visiting Baldur's Gate. There's so much of that world there. Right. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense because that's like uh, you've had a lot of history with Dungeons & Dragons. So I could totally see that like just resonating with you a lot. 100%. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. If I had to whittle them down, probably somewhere amongst those. But, yeah, I would say Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is not far behind them because, really, um, when we're talking about good experiences, it kind of got me into the game. That pre-release uh, that I played was kind of like what got me, whoa, I can actually play draft and not be totally bad at it, and there are really fun and cool archetypes you can play with. I know pre-release events are so much fun. I think Kamigawa was uh, one of no, it was it was our my second. I think my, my first, first, your Cody's first, my second, my, my second because well. our first one was uh, Forgotten AFR, Realms, yeah. yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Mark, what is your favorite since I've since I've been playing the game? I I don't want to like put a definite on it, but I think. Um, you know, it's surprising. I didn't buy many boxes of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, but I would say, like, just uh, in terms of all fronts, like, in terms of design, in terms of themes, in terms of, like, just mechanics introduced, I think Kamigawa has to be, like, up there. If if not my favorite, then tied for my favorite since I've been playing. With? I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably. I, I do like my my uh, reprint sets, my uh, Commander Masters, my Double Masters, but those aren't uh, visiting a certain plane. Um, I'm sure there's one I'm not thinking of right now. Well, let's go through. when You started playing in Kaldheim, right? Yeah. Ravnica uh, stuff. Ravnica has not come out since I've played Magic. That's true. But as soon as it, it does, be. it will be. Ravnica Remastered might take my favorite because I've been wanting to. Yes, see uh, that. I understand. But like you started in Call Time. Time Strixhaven was really cool. Um, what came after that? AFR, uh, and then Midnight Hunt, uh, then Crimson, Crimson Vow, Vow, Kamigawa, Kamigawa New Capenna. What came out? Dominaria United? I believe it was Dominaria United. And then... Brothers War. Brothers War. 
March of Machines. You forgot All Will Be One. Yeah. Oh, I did forget All Will Be One. And then what? It's okay, a lot of us. Lord do. of the Rings. I mean, Lord of the Rings is kind of cool. Um, but sure. I, I think I'm gonna, visiting Middle Earth. I think really out of all of those, if we're only counting ones that I've like actively seen the release of, it probably is Kamigawa. Like I, I can't think of one that I like more. Yeah. Uh, I feel the same way. I, I think there's potential with some of the new sets that are coming out. Um, like, Thunder I feel like Junction. Thunder Junction really could be <laughs> yeah, like a new a favorite for me. Or whatever this space opera might right, be. Right, right. That could be a huge flop or a huge success. But I think Kamigawa is probably my favorite. So um, I want to get into some facts about the set before we start talking about it. It is Magic's 91st expansion. It was released on February 18th of 2022. Um, and it's described as Magic's first science fiction setting. And that's kind of interesting to me because I think of Mirrodin, but Mirrodin also feels like a little more like magic, like fiction I don't um, know if that makes sense no i i think it makes a lot of sense that this is the first um like science fiction setting because so much of it is you know like a cyberpunk feel um you know like there's whole cities that are being built there's a, like very advanced technology that they're you're dealing with in the set right like while i don't think it's the first set to have borrowed elements from science fiction i do feel like it's the first set we saw that's entirely focused on it that's interesting i i, I can see that it definitely has a huge yeah science fiction cyberpunk focus. cyberpunk for sure yeah low um, key yeah i like had kind of put it together when we started talking about um possibly doing this episode but I think that the correlation between like where Kamigawa ended, like the original set, and where it picks up is such a weird, interesting parallel between like Japan huh. and like leading into like World War Two where we dropped the bomb on them and then where Japan is today, you know. Like, considering that this is a Japanese set right. the or one, setting. The one interesting thing that I was going to bring up, too, was that the original block was based on, um, like, Japanese mythology, but it was not very accurately based on Japanese mythology. Very loosely. Yeah, well, it was will. like people... It was white people right. making up <laughs> Japanese mythology. Basically, it was yeah, white people much. making up Japanese mythology. <laughs> and, like, you know, someone who's familiar with Japanese mythology might look at that and be like, well, that's not at all <laughs> an accurate representation. Right. Yeah. right. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's fair. Just like Kaldheim isn't exactly the Norse gods. It's These are settings that are based off it. You know, it's just like saying Amonkhet uh, doesn't have true Egyptian gods, you know? I think this might have been a little bit more like egregious like, yeah like whereas whereas like we look at like Kaldheim and it's like oh there's these like figures that like symbolize like power through artifacts and you know there's a lot of like very direct ties to correlate like there's a world tree all that stuff and different realms like you can see that that's a very clear example of Norse mythology no and like there's the alligator god there's um the bird god um, the think cat god. Amonkhet and 
Kaldheim probably and do Th- it. Theros is very Theros. Uh, yeah, they they do all of their mythologies a lot more accurately, given they were all released after uh, original Kamigawa block in two thousand four. Probably like heard the criticisms about like the set and the mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was uh, originally the original Kamigawa block, uh, which is another aspect of this setting is like we're returning to a plane that hasn't been seen in almost 20 years uh is uh champions of kamigawa betrayers of kamigawa and saviors of kamigawa it was again based loosely on japanese mythology not very accurate um and it was pretty disliked by uh, a lot of like players of the game and mechanically was disliked i i feel like yeah um so many of the players love like the setting the lore you know the you know which is why it was like kind of so like oh let's go back to kamigawa let's do Mm -hmm. you know but just the the mechanics were pretty rough and mark rosewater um i believe the lead designer back then considers it a low point in design that that first kamigawa block yeah i mean it's not the lowest point but (laughs) what is uh, (laughs) that might be a whole other discussion but um well considering that it's called the rabia scale Oh my god! Okay, that's fair. That was so early, though. Um, <laughs> All right. but, but one one interesting thing uh, before we move on, you know, it's like I, I think it did introduce some interesting ish things. Like, if I'm not mistaken, didn't that introduce a lot of legendary matters cards within the set and the envi- like draft environment itself? It, in, you mean original Kamigawa block? Was that? I think original Kamigawa block had a lot of interesting legendary mechanics. I think it had like the majority of rares were legendary so it made like just a lot of different legendary things happen i believe that might have been around the time the legendary rule change happened as well where um they made it so that both people could have a legendary creature instead of you know if one person had the same legendary creature as someone else it had to get destroyed um could i'm not 100% sure on that but i think it was somewhere around then um, Neon Dynasty takes place 1,200 years in the future of the first block. Um, and real quick, I wanted to mention something about the general like meta narrative of the setting. Um, so it's a struggle between tradition and modernity, obviously, with like certain aspects like enchantments and you know more. Uh, callbacks to the original block being represented with like more of the traditional cards and uh in in mostly green and white i want to say and then uh the modernity being represented with uh blue and black a lot of artifacts a lot of more of the cyberpunk aesthetic stuff more of the big city stuff rather than the like nature stuff yeah um I mean, for a little context, you know, the original Kamigawa block was kind of a battle between, like, the spirits of Kamigawa and the, you know, people of Kamigawa, um, where they were clashing about that. Um, And you kind of still see a little bit of that contrast between, like, spirits and you know, the occupants and people of the plane in the new set. Yeah. I think there's a lot more, um, 
or it's interesting now there seems to be spirits and people on both sides of tradition and modernity. One more thing I wanted to mention about that is uh, it seems to be like a reference to how R&D struggled to develop a sequel to one of like the worst perceived uh, magic sets and um, just separating it from the previous setting while like still making it recognizably the same plane. I got most of that from the Wikipedia page. But it's a very interesting it's interesting to see how like the themes of the set transcend the set and go like directly back to like R&D's struggles with making it. Right. Like I think it's really interesting to see how it's kind of had uh, more of like a man versus nature theme uh, at first. And now it's kind of evolved into what would you call like man versus technology uh, man versus. I think it's it's like more nature versus technology rather than than man necessarily being at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I would almost argue argue that it's more like man and his need to change versus you know like the conventional status quo if you would yeah and i think the real interesting thing is this time around we get a visit from our phyrexian praetor friend jin gataxius who represents progress in his own demented sort of right definitely also leads to the coolest name, the Progress Tyrant. No, yeah. no he's he's always jinky tingy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this that that's definitely one I was gonna bring up is uh Jingataxius definitely like represents the like furthest reaches of like progress and technology and in both in the card itself, Jingataxius Progress Tyrant is representative of what the set kind of pushes to blue and also what blue is in mechanical sense and oh yeah it's a hundred percent like flavorfully on theme for blue you know and in the lore of the set he's trying to figure out how spirits can pass between these realms um so that he can take that knowledge back to completing planeswalkers Mm -hmm. which is also something that we see for the first time in in, that's a good point that's the the first time we see a completed planeswalker and one that could uh basically uh have phyrexian mana pay for it um but yeah like uh i definitely see a lot of that with jingataxius um i wanted to talk to you guys about some of the you know, more impactful cards in the set, starting with some of the cycles in the set. Um, and just kind of seeing like what you guys think about like the channel land cycle. Love them. Yeah, I think they're cool. I wish I had more opportunity to play more of them. Uh, just because I don't have all of them. But uh, yeah, from the little I have played with them, it's uh, great having an untapped land that doesn't count as a basic land when you absolutely need it and removal or some kind of weird effect in a pinch. I mean, honestly, there's really only three worth playing in any real aspect, and except in one. niche sit- situations. Right. The, the green one, uh, what's the name of that one Boseju again? Yeah, Boseju, who endures, I believe. That sounds right. I, I am lucky That's enough to have one. a copy of that one uh there's also takanuma no odawara the soaring city is the other is the blue one that deserves to be played uh-huh. deserves no <laughs> like if you're running either green or blue you sh- and you have access to the card you should be running this in like any kind of uh deck commander um, deck Rob. commander no i mean like these see tons of play in 
every aspect. You know, they saw it in modern, um, in legacy and vintage, um, standard blocks. You know, if you can play these cards, you should if you have access to them. I would argue that all of them are playable cards, even the one that's least probably noticed, the red one. Sokinzon? Yeah. Still makes <laughs> two one ones with haste for potentially one mana. I mean, like I said, there's niche situations where that is still a very powerful card. Um, it's just not something that like we'll see play at every level, like the blue and the green one will. Um, a ganjo as a, you know, white removal spell, basically. I think that's great. No, it, it, that is way more flexible than, you know, like blacks mill a couple, put something back in your hand I've, to be. No. So it puts it at the top of your library, I believe. And I've actually no, had it's to your hand. Oh, that one's into your hand. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I, I, I don't know. I, I have a Sir Conrad deck, and I personally really like it in that one. And oh, pretty absolutely. Much in almost any graveyard strategy, there feels like there's some kind of way you can abuse that. And that's, you know, very common in black. I think in Commander, if you have access to these and you are running a monocolored deck, you play them. That's, that's fair. Yeah. In yeah. any other format... I think depending on the power level of that format, you have to keep in mind that these are all legendary. So you might not want to run four of, you might want to run one or two of, especially like, uh, you know, Boseju, I mean. Which is the strongest of all of them. If you're running it as removal, then you maybe don't have to worry about running it at like uh, four of. You could run like two or three though, if you're going to use them mostly for the removal. Right. And you'll probably sideboard it, too, if you have a specific strategy. Potentially, yeah. But I, I would say, like, in those formats, because of that, because they're legendary, that is such a good balance. Like, le- it makes sense that they would be legendary because they're talking about specific places. They're very uh, iconic, very powerful places, powerful cards, and they, you know, it, it balances it within the game, too. Like, you can't just play for Boseju's on your side of the board as land. Like if you if you fill your deck up too much with these, like it starts to become a problem. So I I do like that it's balanced slightly in that way, but I still agree that there are a lot of formats where you play, you know, maybe Boseju or Odawara in like a blue or a green deck just because it's additional options. I mean, also remember that these are abilities for cards, not spells that you're casting. So they can't they're even hard to interact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, Most there's the very few cards that interact with an ability. Definitely. Um, I think that's probably one of the most standout cycles in the set. Lands are always something that I look out for. I love seeing, like, cool lands. And those are just so useful they're so nice to have like an additional removal spell or additional uh make some creatures or or mill some cards or anything like that just super useful to have another cycle i wanted to bring up that i think is also seeing like a lot of play in a lot of different or has seen a lot of play like throughout the release is uh the march of cycle Mm -hmm. so march of swirling mist march of otherworldly light march of wretched sorrow march of reckless joy 
and March of Burgeoning Life. Those are very cool. I like that, you know, the cost reduction effect where you can exile cards from your hand that share a color to do more of the thing. Um, very cool mechanic. And they all do some pretty helpful stuff. I would say maybe what the green one's probably the worst because I mean at least in commander because you need to search for something with the same name mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really a non-bow unless you're playing a specific type of deck like rat colony, rat yeah. colony. <laughs> or, or uh petitioners yeah or if you're playing in a in a format where you have four copies of the same card it's pretty good or could be pretty good but um you know something like march of swirling mists that like phases out up to x creatures is oh it's wonderful honestly like uh that's probably the best one out of the cycle just for all levels of play and most formats um you know because it hits your creatures it can hit your opponent's creatures you know it's so versatile and flexible yeah, and you can you know really get away with paying like one mana for it and pitching some cards from your hand. And it's protection, it's removal, it's like just messing with the board at instant speed, all in one card that again you can pay one mana for. Um, I think absolutely March of Swirling Mist is probably the best, but definitely the other ones are. Uh, they have their uses. Definitely, like like March of Otherworldly Light. It's like. You can exile a target artifact, creature, or enchantment with mana value X or less. And theoretically, you pay one white mana and maybe get rid of a couple cards in your hand that you're not using to get rid of, like, you know, artifact, creature, or enchantment. Like, it definitely yeah. has its uses in, like, removal. I would say it's, like, maybe not as good as, like, swords to plowshares, but it, like almost could be interchangeable because it can hit more things i think i see where you're coming from i actually uh ran both march of otherworldly light and uh, march of reckless joy in decks that i've played and i feel like uh personally they've been a little bit underwhelming uh just because the cost of having to exile usable cards you know you can't just exile all the lands in your hand you're right. gonna have to exile actual colored cards that have to share the color type and you know, to be fair, I've played these in uh, dual color decks, so it might have been a your mileage may vary with these guys. Uh, but yeah, I like the flexibility, but ultimately, um, for my stronger decks, I did end up cutting the cards. I would say in a monocolored deck, any one of these would be really good. I, I think that's the other thing I really like about these cycles in Kamigawa is that also with the lands, like if you're running more of a monocolored deck, they're like almost instant includes or they're way better than right. if you're running a two-colored deck or a three-colored deck. No, this set really did feel like it focused more on monocolor versus, you know, a combination of, you know, two, three or four color. Yeah. I was going to say with March of Reckless Joy, the red one... Um, I've had some uses with that in um, Bergy, God of Storytelling. That's one of the only cards where you can kind of like dig, like like a lot of red cards, you'll draw equal to the cards that you give up. So you 
play a card and you draw a card or you play a card and discard a card for its cost and you draw two cards. Um, with March of Reckless Joy, that's one of the only ones that lets you look further. It doesn't let you play maybe all the cards that you look through, but in that strategy, it's like another option, an additional different option to um, to just see more of your deck, which is really not a thing that Red gets a lot, uh, at least to the extent that March of Reckless Joy can do it. Right, yeah, and it's still a strong card. I'd say uh, the only reason why I cut it is because it was in my uh, Prosper Tomebound deck, and it's still a fantastic card there, but, you know, it's just been getting so much support that it wasn't the absolute cream of the crop anymore, but and it's still really flexible. I yeah. also feel like you might not have gotten as much mileage out of that because your Prosper deck feels like it cares more about, like, you being able to exile cards than having cards in your hand which the card wants you to have so that you can dig deeper. You know what ends up happening when I play that deck? Um, usually by turn five or six, I have a decent value engine on board, and I have nothing in my hand but lands, and I'm just playing whatever I get from Exile, and then I just win kind of through that. Cut lands. Um, <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> I, but yeah, no, I think like, yeah, these cards are like definitely better in certain strategies in in certain decks that are maybe more focused on exactly what they do um but but i think they're all they all have really cool potential and upsides and are just really neat to to play with and again having the ability to just uh exile cards from your hand it's definitely not making the spells broken because you're giving up a lot of resources but it's paying for two which is kind of crazy yeah, like it's it's not broken, but it's still cool that you can do it. It gives you more options with things to do in your hand, like if you don't have any need for a certain thing at the moment. Um, the other cycle I wanted to talk about was another monocolored cycle, is the uh, dragon cycle from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, those are, I feel like, slept on a lot these days like people don't really remember them or i i don't really remember them that often at least um let me see if i can get them so there's um ao the dawn sky let me pull up the the list yeah um there's Kyrie the swirling mist sokens on the Blazing. No, I don't think it's Sokin It's not Sokinzon. No. It's Atsushi. Atsushi. Yeah, I always used to call him Sushi. Atsushi, the Blazing yes. Sky? Yep. Yep. Two yep. more to go, Cody. Um, goes, is it, all right, what colors? Is it Junji? Which yeah. sky is it? The Wretched? The Midnight. Midnight Sky. Ah, the Midnight Sky. And you're forgetting the last one. It's the green green one. one. Yeah, the one that I I know what he does with the lands, like like, like when he dies. Kura, the Boundless Sky. Yeah. Um, There's, yeah, uh, Ao, the Dawn Sky, Kairi, the Swirling Sky, Junji, the Midnight Sky, Atsushi, the Blazing Sky, and Kura, the Boundless Sky. Um, Yeah, those are cool. All mythic rarity cards, which maybe feels a little bit ambitious for ambitious them. yeah compared to the the land cycle being rare and these being at mythic that's kind of uh funny. i mean i feel like a couple of them were bulk mythics honestly 
what the dragons? Yeah, they, I think I like most, most of most, them yeah, most are. Not like all, they're not they're not all bad. They, like, they like, all do cool things. What's the most things. expensive one? Uh, Junji at around five dollars. Yeah, um, that makes sense because uh, it's probably the best dragon out of um, it. I take that back. Like I think there's an art. Like they're all good in their own strategies. Again, I I just think that Junji sees the most play out of all five of the dragons. Sure, I see that. Yeah, because um, you know Junji can have just because of its like abilities could have uh playability anywhere from like a reanimator deck to like a discard deck, and even just having those abilities on on a dragon that's not particularly in either of those strategies are really good yeah i'll also say atsushi is awesome as well um i also used to play him in my prosper deck uh but it really is in any deck where you can really take advantage of uh the death triggers i feel like these are really useful creatures to have yeah black red ghost burr (laughs) yeah like there's i think I've always kind of wanted to play with AO, the Dawn Sky. I've never really gotten a chance to, but I think that's a really interesting uh, card as well. Dude, I've I... seen some really high-powered commander decks built with AO as the commander. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. when he dies, you just like look at the top of your library, or what is it, top seven, to find a permanent with or a creature, is it? Any number of non-land permanents with total mana value four or less. Oh, that's really cool. And they go right onto the battlefield. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really good. I remember I was actually playing in my pre-release against it. I built a really awesome red-white samurai tribal deck, and it did really fantastic that night. But the one time I played against someone who had this guy, I just got wrecked. It, it was really strong. Um, and I and I even ended up having at sushi myself. Yeah, I uh, that's that's interesting. I remember in the pre-release I had, I was playing a red, black, green strategy, primarily red, black. But I did pull Kura, the Boundless Sky, nice. so I like threw it in because I had treasure treasure synergies. So kind of like I could play any color I wanted at the top. But um, I like two green cards, one of them being Kura. But I remember that that pre-release being a ton of fun and just like the dragons being fairly impactful because. Especially in a pre-release setting, they're big flying creatures. Each of them have like different abilities on them, and then like they're all modal. They're all well. They're even on their own. Like without their death triggers, they're just like Korra is a five mana four four with flying and death touch, which is just solid in pre-release. Yeah, like that's gonna be. A good card. Yeah, Atsushi has flying and trample. Exactly, they, uh, and all it's of a them, what four four for, for like yeah, four. Yeah, exactly. Um, Junji is a five mana five five flying menace. They all have like these really good, uh, like just they're just good creatures with good abilities. Wait, what does Kyrie have? Uh, Kyrie is uh, Ward three six six and flying, and it's for six, right? Ward uh, three, yeah, six six for six. So they're all like, yeah, that, that, the, it, there's a reason why Kyrie's kind of the worst <laughs> dragon, <laughs> even Definitely. though the effect is like nice. Still. Yeah, I think, but but the reason they're so good in that like pre-release setting is like again, great bodies. They can attack. They can block really well. And then when they die, they just do more. Like that's why they're they're such cool cards. Because I remember like in my pre-release deck, ramping into the um the green one. What is it? Kura? Yeah, Kura. And then it like the main point of it being a flying death touch attacker and blocker. 
But if anything ever happened to it, I had like two options with what to do with it. So they're very powerful, I would say, in like draft and pre-release type stuff. And in some cases, they they have like niche areas in Commander where they can fit. I don't think they really go into many like uh, competitive constructed formats like Pioneer or anything like that. But they're really cool designs. I think Junji might see some play, but possible i i'm not 100 percent sure but it definitely could be maybe but they're fun cards i wanted to talk about uh also one of my favorite mechanics ever i think that was introduced in this set and i still have so much thoughts about how to do decks around it how to build with it Whenever I see a card with this mechanic, I, I get really excited. I hope that one day it comes back, but it's uh, the reconfigure mechanic. Oh, yes. Yeah. Reconfigure yeah. is awesome. It basically means that you can have a little artifact creature that you can then equip onto another creature. So monkey turns into... When you got a monkey equipped with a monkey. my God. Okay, that was probably my favorite story from pre-release. I was... Uh, playing this red, black, maybe a little bit of green deck, and I had two of these one-drop monkeys that are like that had reconfigure, and just for fun, I played both of them, and then on turn three, I paid the reconfigure cost on one of them to attach them onto another monkey. So it was like a monkey standing on another monkey, and it was so great. It was like just such a cool thing you can do and then if that creature ever dies the other monkey jumps off and is like another creature <laughs> yeah, when did you the play the trench plus coat? one plus one or something like that so yeah the it actually, actually gets bigger as he stick get like you stack the monkeys yeah it's <laughs> i it's almost like unbelievable how clever of a mechanic it was that it had to wait until its 90 second expansion for magic to get it so when did you play the trench coat <laughs> I, I didn't have a third monkey, but... <laughs> very unfortunate. I remember playing with that card as well, and I also played with the Rabbit Battery, which is just like uh, an equipment that gives the equipped creature haste, or it's just a little 1-1 one, one with haste itself. It feels like the Energizer Bunny, kind of. Yeah, it's really cool. It was really fun, and you got to do some super interesting stuff with all of them. I think and this, this might be uh, a little bit... What's the word? Like of an exaggeration, but I think I'm pretty confident about saying like reconfigure might be the reason why this set has been my favorite set that's been released since I've been uh, playing magic. Interesting. I mean, I just think there was so much like new, like the way that they handled the new mechanics was fantastic. Uh, There was support for, you know, things that we didn't have before, you know, like vehicles, like yeah, vehicles were only a thing that we saw in Kaladesh, and maybe will never come back. Really, uh, we saw them a little bit in like Ixalan and stuff. Oh, right, there were the boats. Yeah, they're scattered around. They've been in Kaldheim as well. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, like they but they went in a totally different direction with them. I know robot Mechs. fights. Yes. Mech suits were awesome, and like just having those as like vehicle options, but um. But yeah, I think like kind of, you know, allowing for more room to explore in some of these uh, these areas that have been explored before, but just not to the same extent that they have before. Um, An interesting thing about uh, reconfigure is that it's like 
very similar to bestow as well which is like the enchantment version I, I would say it's almost better because like you still have a creature like whereas with bestow you have to pay the bestow cost to cast it as an aura like you can't just make the decision like no i want a creature now or right it reconfigure just works better than bestow i think and it it feels so much cooler because again like if the one thing that has all the other things connected to it dies not everything goes away it's just like all the other little pieces fall off and now you got a bunch of little like things running around yeah it's it's a lot of fun i remember i was uh attempting to build a bionicles uh themed commander deck where i basically uh would play equipments and these uh reconfigure creatures and just you just assemble these weird contraptions of just a really strong creature it wasn't even usually commander damage or anything so it was just kind of funny when i got to do it but um yeah ultimately uh, i've now kind of settled for a regular equipment deck but even then i still play with a lot of these reconfigure cards there's a there's a part of me that I mean, I have too many commander decks as it is, but one day, perhaps, if I take apart, like, five commander decks, I might, like, just build a completely, like, reconfigure, plus maybe four Mirrodin or a a living weapon, which makes, like, bodies when you play the creature or the equipments, and just, like, put all of those mechanics into one commander deck and just like try to stack all of the little things on top of each other and like make one big megazord like the real voltroning you know what five mini lion bots combine into one giant lion bot (laughs) do you guys okay i'm gonna talk about uh this probably a little later on but do you guys know is mech titan core is that a legendary? It's not a creature, is it? No, it's, an, it's, a, vehicle. it's a vehicle. Oh, Mech Titan Core would be the perfect commander for that. Um, Shorakai? Yeah, but Shorakai's only blue Shorakai, and white. Shorakai I need, doesn't... I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess he makes good pilots. I might rule zero with you guys. Like, could I make, like, a five-color, like, <laughs> Bionicles <laughs> Megazord yes, deck? for? But, like, have... Uh, what's it called? The, uh, um, just build, like, Najila i'd rather do mech titan core for the flavor yeah like that would be such a cooler commander it's colorless i know but that's why i would rule zero with you guys i'd allow it but um i also wanted to like just talk about some of the standout cards in the set i know okay so we're gonna talk about fable of the mirror break that is the first one on the (laughs) list cody good job (laughs) you literally you literally nailed it it's almost like i researched the standard meta or the modern meta or Or the pioneer meta yeah fable of the mirror breaker is banned is it now in standard it's it's banned in standard now but it used to not be um it is such a ridiculous card and it's one of those cards that i think like um that like there's a a podcast that i want or i guess it's a youtube show now called the receivables and um they have this award show section at the end where they have most under hyped card in a set uh on release 
I'm a hundred percent sure it would go to Fable of the Mirror Breaker, but maybe I'm being too presumptuous. Like I, I, I disagree on rele- with on release though, it was a bulk rare one to two dollar card. Not that even saw a little like, play. Like I don't think anyone was paying attention to Fable of the Mirror Breaker until maybe a week after release, and then it was like, oh wait, this card goes everywhere. Yeah, ev- everyone was like, oh, I don't want to wait that long for a Kiki Jiki, and then for you're a like, worse Kiki Jiki, for a worse Kiki Jiki. <laughs> but then they're like, oh wait. But the saga part is good. <laughs> yeah, not only is the saga part good, but having a worse Kiki Jiki is still really good, like, yeah. in standard. No, I, I mean, like, I will 100% agree with you on this. But, um, like, there, I, I feel like there was still some hype around uh, Fable and, like, getting the worst Kiki Jiki, like, before the set came out. Like, it was talked about, but it wasn't... Like I don't think it was talked about favorably. Uh, but no, what I think, what I think the card it would actually go to is I think going to be the next card on your list, and that's uh, Invoke Despair. That, oh, that is, is not, not even on the, on the list. list. I did not I, put Invoke Despair on. How the, did you not? But it's the other banned card because we're, command, from we're commander players. I know that Invoke Despair is good. In fact, it's a whole cycle that I didn't even bring up, but we could talk about it if you want. The Invoke cycle. I mean, um, there's a bunch of cycles we didn't we didn't talk about the Miogen cycle. We, you're right, and that that was more of a that was in the commander set, I believe. The uh, Miogens, yes. Yeah, but um, Invoke Despair definitely like has seen a lot of standard play i want to say that it's an uncommon card it's a rare oh is it a rare it's a rare rare all of the invokes are okay they're all decent cards and i think invoke despair like whereas kiki or fable of the mirror breaker feels like it's just like anywhere you put it it's gonna do crazy stuff uh invoke despair i could be wrong about this but feels more like it was in the right place at the right time like especially with like rakdos standard like or black standard being like a big Rakdos mid range, Rakdos mid range, like dominating standard and like, um, but I dominating think every constructed format pretty much. Uh, yeah, it's it's taken hold of so much at this point. Yeah, I mean, just glancing at them right now, the only uh, one that costs more than a quarter at their market price is Invoke Despair, and it's like a dollar sixty six, where the rest are under twenty cents. Yeah, so like. It, it's good, but I think it's it was good in standard in the deck it was in, whereas Fable of the Mirror Breaker has transcended standard at this point and just, like, can go so, in so many things, so many places. Also, Invoke Despair is, I would say, not really a commander card, whereas Fable of the Mirror Breaker could be good in any commander deck almost. Maybe not as good as Kiki Jiki, but still a good card if you care about sagas and you care about like I mean, value. In, in Tom Bombadil, sure, you know, the saga commander. But I, I honestly don't like I own a fable and I don't think I run it in anything that I have that runs red for the most part. Same, well, maybe that's same, a mistake. Guys. Well, same <laughs> here, because I was thinking whether I should put that in my Prosper Tomebound deck or not. And even then, I'm like, it'd probably be good, but probably not better than whatever I'd have to cut for it. I mean, what, uh, anything that has an ETB um, exile the top card of your library effect might be a couple of those. 
those, but those are like my big splashy spells that are already like if you see this, uh, I'm probably already winning. Oh, you do have a you know uh, what is it? Ancient copper dragon in the deck. That I do. (laughs) You know, two of those. Oh my god! Or and I could also get uh, two gold span dragons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I might be making a mistake. Plus, I actually have the really rare token. That it, oh, yeah. the, the did they actually token even print the token? <laughs> I <did>. have one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean the copy effect is really good, but even on the front side, like making a two-two that not when it connects, when it attacks, you make Makes a, treasure. a treasure. Like yes. that's yeah. pretty solid. And then just getting additional like uh, card selection, also like it's it's not as good in other formats. Like or rather, it's better in other formats than it is in commander but i think it still could have a lot of potential in like any commander deck to just hit the board and be impactful um and not not like maybe right away but like early enough in a game where it could like make a body that's gonna ramp and then get card selection and then turn into something that's gonna copy something um so yeah like i i think uh Fable is definitely there. I, I didn't even put the Invoke cycle, but there's so many good cards in this set. I think I the Invoke cycle is great as well. Like, And also the fact that each one of those costs four uh, colored pips of whichever mana it's like in also kind of goes in that strategy where like, okay, these are all good cards, but they're especially good in decks that run only that color. Yes. I will say, I think one of the complaints people had about uh, the Invoke cards, or specifically the Invoke Despair in Standard, was the fact that it was so easy to get those pips because of all the access to treasures that were available. That's a good point, too. But I think that's more of a complaint with treasures than a complaint with the card itself. Like, I definitely agree that treasures almost make the casting cost like irrelevant irrelevant yeah but i mean i think that's a definitely more of an issue with treasures than it is with the cards itself like being four colored pips and which is a whole different conversation we can have later definitely maybe we make a treasures episode money episode money 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 so the actual next card on my list can you guess it if it's not the invoke cycle i can guess it you're looking at the list wrong (laughs) Um, no i'm not i can guess it (laughs) now you turn the list away let's see if cody can actually get it okay so next card do you want a hint yes i I can I, i i like this card a lot if i if it gets played i groan and not in a good way and i like it a lot so I want to say it's a stacks card. <laughs> you're, you're not that not, far not, off. Uh, not exactly stacks, no. Do you want another hint? Creature, enchantment, like uh, sorcery. It's a sorcery. Yeah, I feel like that might give it away. It's a white sorcery. Oh, farewell. <laughs> yeah. The okay. Adios. Dude, there's literally the Spanish version is called Adios. That is... We need to get a <laughs> oh, version no. of that. Yeah, like, I was going to say, now, now we need to go buy a Spanish version of farewell. Sure. <laughs> like, that... Uh, au revoir. <laughs> if that's the actual French version, that'd be amazing. Um, that is probably the one instance of, like, extreme power creep that I've seen in the set because i don't think in retrospect there is a more effective board wipe i mean there absolutely is it hits everything farewell is 
it's optional. So if you don't want to hit some of your own stuff, like you have the choice not to do everything, um, it exiles it. So it's not coming back. It's like farewell from the game. Adios. You're going to see you next game or whatever. I mean, like there are cards that will bring stuff back from exile, but does anyone play them? (laughs) It's very niche. Yeah. Niche strategies that want to combo with it. Yeah. So not too typically seen. It's, definitely like the best board wipe and um yeah just just a ridiculously good card um but definitely like a standout um i i'm sure it's seeing play in some uh formats or could be seeing play just because of how extreme it is where it's just like get rid of someone's graveyard get rid of someone's creatures get rid of someone's artifacts and enchantments like in commander it's unbelievably impactful i feel like in anything it could be that's what i was saying but in commander especially because you have three opponents it's just like yeah three things scales up yeah it scales up even more um a few other any other thoughts about farewell or I think we've said the it Spanish all. Yeah. Version, the Spanish version is like, like 30 bucks. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> the English version's like 10 and the Spanish version's like 30. Of course it well, is. Well, it's like the uh, Spanish version of Inquisition Co- yeah. of Kozilek. Yep. Because nobody, nobody expects, expects the, the Spanish, Spanish Inquisition. Inquisition. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was curious where that one was going. Um but yeah, some other uh, standouts from the set. Obviously, Jingataxius Progress Tyrant. We kind of already talked about that. But yeah, I, just, I, I recently uh, uh, do. We talk about the reality chip, or is that not on the? Um, I kind of lumped that into Cody. reconfigure ish, but that's definitely one of the standout reconfigure cards. I just love the card. Like I, you know, it's great. I've. Yeah, it's interest. It's it's interesting. I feel like it's also one of those cards that falls into it. You could do some really niche and interesting stuff with it. But outside I mean, of just that, looking at the top card of your library is a very powerful thing. It depends on your strategy. Uh, I think just having that passive effect, like it. I don't know if it's necessarily worth two mana just to look at the top card of your library, but right. obviously in perpetuity, that's, yeah, I that's would where it 100%. starts. And then it gets better from there. Yeah, Again, yeah it depends yeah. on the deck. If you're playing a deck that cheats things out from the top or things that cascade or something like that, then yeah, it's totally worth it. But again, I feel like you need to kind of build around that particularly. It's interesting because it's, it's like getting a, a half a card of additional value. Like you yeah. can't cast it until you equip it. Once it's equipped, then of course it's like getting a full additional card, which is great. But just playing it by itself and getting to look at the top card of your library is almost like you get access to a half a card. Cause like you can see what's next, you can see what's coming, you can game plan for the future, but um, you can't do anything with it in the present. Doesn't the reality chip have something to do with, uh, it mainly has stuff to do with space, not with time, but um, cause it's the thing that anchors uh, the emperor for a bit to the world. Oh, yes. It, it also has to do with completing uh, Planeswalkers, too. Yep, yep. But, uh, but yeah, very cool card. Uh, very futuristic feeling, like very blue feeling where you get to look ahead and see into the future almost. Yes. Um, 
The Wandering Emperor was actually another card I was going to bring up because oh, uh, so good. First, what one of I I can't be, I think it's the first Planeswalker with Flash, or that can be cast at instant speed and then activated. Um, I can't think of another one that does it, and I remember how impactful. I want to say it's not the first one, but I think it's the most powerful one. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but it's definitely the most powerful one. You like Just the fact that you can play a Planeswalker on your opponent's turn, which I know you love doing, Cody. It's not in the colors for you, but um, playing on your opponent's turn and then being able to activate a loyalty ability instantly. Is, and one of them is a removal yeah. ability, one which of them is, is huge. And then another one is making a creature, which is huge for planeswalkers, just to be able to protection. Block. Yeah, yeah the, the wandering emperor, at least uh, doing a search where I'm filtering out by planeswalkers with the word flash in their text box. Uh, the only one that actually has flash is the wandering emperor. Uh, you could Teferi Time Raveler, who can allow you to. Uh, oh, no, that, that doesn't even matter. Yeah, you can let you cast sorceries as though they had flash, and mm. their planeswalkers let you cast other spells. So they had flash, but and then there's the Teferi that lets you uh, activate abilities as yeah, though they had one. flash. But Teferi right. himself does not have flash. I know. Yeah. So the Wandering Emperor might be the only one that actually like has flash that you can kind of surprise people with. Which, from like a lore perspective, is so genius and cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I I love it. I think it's such a cool card. Um, Kodama of the West Tree, another one worth mentioning. I oh, think yeah. we've all had fun with Kodama of the West Tree. At Finally one point completing or the Kodama cycle and yeah. making it a really good one at that. Like, it's definitely not in every strategy, but for its own strategy is amazing. Well, it's definitely the second best Kodama. What's the first? The Commander East Tree. East Tree. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I mean, it's, <laughs> what do we got to compare it to? North and South? Like, or center? <laughs> I guess center, yeah. Yeah, no, I think West is is probably the second best. East just has so much combo potential. I really like the uh, new Kamigawa um, Kodama in my one plus one plus one counter. Oh, yeah, it's especially good there. Oh, yeah, you give uh, all your things trample and then get lands whenever they connect. I know, it's it's great. I, I... I think it's such a cool card there. Um, another great commander card is Ishin Two Heavens as One. Um, there's been, I feel like, so much hype around that card to the point, especially in commander, to the point where like certain old cards that just for whatever reason happened to synergize with Ishin just skyrocketed in price. Like I'm not. Yeah, 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 and it's funny because Ishin himself has always been a really cheap card, despite him being a rare, I believe. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if we're going to talk about you know those ones, why don't we talk about like the most hyped card? Uh, I think in the set at the time, which was Hanada Dawn Crowned. Definitely, uh, that yeah. one made a lot of uh, appearances in standard as well, just because now you could start playing these spells that hit or like target everything. Um, Hinata was very cool. Uh, another great legendary creature, both for commander and that one in. Uh, like other formats as well. Uh, Light Paws, Emperor's Voice, the commander that uh, I ended up building from the set. Terrible. Yep. Awful. Big Garbage. Slap. 
big slap. I love it. It's so good. It's just you get to like go <laughs> grab auras from your deck, put them on the no, no, creature, and then stack them up. We get to watch you shuffle your deck a bunch of times, and then you get a really big creature that you just kill us with, and we can't hurt it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's fun. It's uh, but also it's seen play in I think certain pioneer decks as well. Um, it's maybe shown up like probably very occasionally in standard but that doesn't shock me actually like i figure you could do like a bogles type it's something yeah. i think a mix of that and like stram it, it's almost like the same strategy as uh like the light pause commander deck but with a little bit like obviously different options for more like I guess you don't have to rely on one specific commander. You're yeah. gonna draw into you, or or features. just one color because you're you could splash green, true. yeah, yeah, and green yeah. is really good with auras as well. That it is. Um, experimental synthesizer is a really impactful common from the set too for like popper, yeah, yeah. popper all star. Um, it's got a lot of strategies built around the card, uh, spe- uh, specifically with its uh, com- combination with Koldotha Rebirth as a card, which is a one-mana sorcery that allows you to sacrifice an artifact, and if you do, you get to create three 1-1 one, one goblins. In a format dominated by common cards, uh, that's really impactful. Um, it's three goblins and a spirit, isn't it? Or no, you is that only when goblins. you do the ability to sacrifice itself? No, no, no. So the experimental synthesizer itself says that when you can pay three man, uh, two and a red to sacrifice it to allow you to uh, create a samurai. But uh, the whole thing is that, uh, no, the actual card of Koldotha Rebirth, sacrifice an artifact, get three goblins. Got it. And then the cool thing is because it's Synthesizer, the Synthesizer, when it uh, enters or leaves the battlefield, you get to exile the top card of your you library. You get to see more cards. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really really strong. I'm thinking of building a Boros synthesizer deck for Popper uh, that's recently got a lot stronger with recent artifacts as well. Yeah, and again, a lot of great cards from this set. A lot of impactful things. Some commander standouts as well. Yoshimaru sees a lot of uh, play. Even sometimes the in boy. CEDH. <laughs> yeah, little doggy partner. I love him very much. Um, Go Shintai of Life's Origin made shrine decks like actually viable. Like, yeah, give them like a real commander and uh, a like real a right strong choice. Commander. Yeah, actually, and the shrine cycle in this set was actually pretty good too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think now I think we've had like three different shrine cycles and they each hit a different phase of um, like uh, the game. Mm-hmm. You have, uh, I think, upkeep, combat, combat and, end. and end step. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's neat. Yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, I think the them giving like creating a shrine commander, like really actually making one, and uh, I've heard mixed things about it because in in one aspect, people were like, "This is great. We finally get the shrine support that we always needed." In another aspect, people were like maybe slightly bummed because it's like oh now there's only one right answer if you want to build a shrine commander deck like you could do some other weird thing but like go shintai of life's origin is just the best version of that kind of um there are tons more amazing cards in this set oh we could talk for days yeah but i think you know 
we've been talking about a lot of them for <laughs> for long enough. I was gonna ask, are there any like final kind of specific cards that you guys wanted to bring up that I didn't get a chance to bring up from this set? Um, I think I brought it up with the reality chip. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like I've recently gotten some games where I got to play it, and it just puts in work. Definitely. Yeah, um, I think we went over all the cards I really wanted to talk about, uh, but yeah, you know, um, I, I don't know, like I really enjoyed the fact that you got to see a lot of tribes that haven't seen support, a lot of archetypes as well, you know, like yeah. samurais are now a thing, uh, ninjas got a lot more support, um, and yeah, it, just, it was just overall really fun and flavorful, like just as a whole. I I 100% agree with you. Um and what are your guys's kind of like i guess takeaways from this set looking into the future like i guess what do you hope to see again do you think we'll get a set like this do you think we'll get mechanics like this again something as universally loved so the thing i took away from it is really just because i saw um mark rosewater make a post about it where rabia is no longer considered like we're never going there again. And I would actually be super excited to see like what they would do with like modern day Rabia. Mm -hmm. Seeing like a plane that someone, yeah, used to be like, we're never going back to that plane. Cause it was awful. It was an awful set, but yeah, they've, they've turned that around with Kamigawa and shown that they can take a pro or original setting that was not liked because of game mechanics and turn it into something that's like just a success overall. And actually, it makes me really optimistic for the new set coming out um, either at the end of the year or at the beginning of next year. Um, I think it's like Caverns of Ixalan. Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Yes, maybe? That, that's yeah. the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool always getting to spend more time on the planes to really get more of the world building in and really see what life is kind of like on the plane so that we can kind of learn more about the cards and stuff that we're playing. So, yeah, like I, I think it's overall really cool, and I hope it means that we get to see more out of uh, the planes that we've already kind of established. I hope it means that we get to revisit, uh, you know, New Capenna and go back to maybe Theros and see what things are like and just you know kind of look out at yeah other things yeah i uh i would say like i really hope that we see another set with such like just wins throughout like from the types of cards they introduce the mechanics the the themes the set the setting um general power level i I was gonna touch on that like all of the cards in this set are like fun unique cool but none of them feel like so broken that they like i mean you know in certain formats sure but uh and maybe a couple standouts here and there but overall it's not like the set is like a mess and it's like uh everything's too powerful like you just auto include it all it's like they're very they're included for specific things they're unique they're fun and like i mean again we can talk about how this set i think has made an impact everywhere from drafting to standard to commander to modern to maybe even older formats one day i'm not sure like 
if that could be a thing, but yeah, like it is such an impactful set, such a win on so many levels. And I hope that, uh, there is enough like creative freedom by, uh, R and D to be able to succeed like that in the future more. Agreed. (laughs) Well, with that, um, I think we're probably going to wrap it up here pretty soon. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention is that we will be at uh, Magic Con Las Vegas. Absolutely. We're going to be there, what is it, September 22nd to the 24th. Yeah, sure. Uh, We will be handing out uh, perhaps some little goodies to anyone who comes up and wants to play commander games with us and uh, generally just wants to hang out. We'd love to meet any of you listeners, and uh, we are definitely looking forward to that. So see you there soon, maybe. Yeah, come and meet us. We'll be there. (laughs) Yes, we will. All right, until next time, see you guys later. Adios. Au revoir. Das Vidanya. (laughs) 